Most news coverage these days seems to focus on COVID-19 or the presidential election. But there's a major natural disaster raging in the western United States that is every bit as important to the lives and livelihoods of farmers and agribusiness in the region. A combination of hot temperatures, dry conditions, and poor forest management practices have resulted in another year of devastating losses for farmers and ranchers in the west. Wildfires have already burned through millions of acres and continue to rage with rains not expected for weeks. Smoke alone has caused substantial crop and soil damage, as well as respiratory issues for livestock. Welcome to Feedstuffs In Focus, our podcast taking a deeper look at big issues in the livestock, poultry, grain, and feed industries. I'm your host, Andy Vance. Thanks for joining us. This episode of Feedstuffs In Focus is sponsored by Hogslat and Georgia Poultry. New for 2020, the classic pullet feed pan. Built to handle the most aggressive birds, the classic pullet features an anti-rotation clip, feed shutoff slide, and a shallow divided pan. Learn more at hogslant.com. In this episode, Feedstuff's editor Sarah Muirhead talks with Jamie Johansson, president of the California Farm Bureau Federation, about the losses for agriculture to date because of the wildfires, as well as mandatory evacuation from his family's olive and citrus operation and what's being pushed policy-wise at the state and federal level to reduce wildfire risk and to support those hardest hit. As Johansson explains, it won't be an easy fix, but rather one that will take a near-total mindset shift and generations of change. With more on that story, here's Sarah Muirhead. Jamie, wildfires are raging across the West. Um, the devastation has been extensive. I, in fact, I think I've already heard that it's kind of exceeding a 10-year average for acres burned. And California, of course, is right in the middle of that and, and one of the hardest hit areas. Recognizing that this is still very much a fluid situation and losses and damages um, for the ag sector are still very much being determined, what what do we know at this time? You know, currently in California, as of today I saw, we have 18,000 firefighters working uh, 27 wildfires just here in California. And we know the major devastation they experienced up in Oregon uh, a couple weeks ago. Um, so the damage is being done. We're uh, we're praying and, and watching around uh, the Napa Valley right now, Sonoma area, our major wine country, um, who actually is in the middle of harvest right now, but uh, uh, but evacuating towns like St. Helena, um, just uh, some of our uh, you know multi generational family farmers, uh, vineyardists there um, being evacuated, and, and and some iconic wineries going up uh, in flames. So, uh, and we also know where I live in Butte County, which is about an hour north of Sacramento, about two weeks ago, our farm and, and home were, were put under a mandatory evacuation around 1 a.m. in the morning. Uh, that was with the Bear Fire at the time, now known as the North Complex Fire. Um, you know, so you, you begin to think about your animals. Uh, a neighbor of mine uh, has a federal grazing permit up in Plumas National Forest. You know, tragically, as we as uh, evacuations were lifted and we can go back to our homes and, and back up to, to check on our animals. Um, looking like uh, he had, at last count, he had lost 350 head in the fire up there. Uh, and then just down about uh, three hours to the south of us, uh, there in the Fresno area, Shaver Lake area, another rancher down there, uh, losing around 300, 350 head of cattle. And of course, that that's the count now, but we also know um, the complications will come later with cows affected by the fire in terms of respiratory, and a lot of them will have to be euthanized. So um, uh, we're hurting right now in agriculture. We're hurting for our families. Um, and, and tragically, you know, this is the fourth time uh, uh, my family has experienced either a mandatory or an advised evacuation. And you never want to say you come compl uh, complacent to it or, um, you know, 
uh, get used to it. But um, you know, I think there's 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 a lot of frustration and anger now too uh, in in our, in our state with with what's going on. So what I mean, what goes through your head, or what what are you feeling, your emotions, when you have to evacuate and just like leave everything behind? That has to be such a tough tough thing to do. It is tough. Um, you know, who's going to keep the generators going, which maybe keeps uh, you know. Um, uh, your refrigeration going. Uh, we are in the mid- We haven't harvested yet. I farm olives and citrus, so we don't harvest those until uh, you know late fall, early winter. Um, who's going to turn on the irrigation? Um, uh, and so, uh, you know, one of the things we're looking at too is is how do we get farmers once dangers is really passed? Uh, how do we get farmers and ranchers able to get back on their farm, even with the evacuation in place, if they can do it safely and not jeopardize first responders? Um, but it is a lot of, uh, and, and you usually think of your community. So who, you know, uh, who do I need to call um, to see if they need help as well? Uh, so there's a lot that goes through uh, uh, your mind. Um, but, uh, you know, at the end of it, you look, and I know the fire up that we evacuated from ended up claiming 15 lives. Two years earlier, you may remember there was a campfire. That's where the town of Paradise burned and over 80 people were killed. That mandatory evacuation uh, line was about a half a mile from, from our place. And so I had a lot of friends that lost everything. And, and ultimately for our family, fortunately, uh, it was, it was it's, it's a major inconvenience, but um, just devastating effects on the communities. And, and once again, like Sonoma, saw a major fire there, uh, go through there a few years ago, uh, devastating Santa Rosa. It's like, here we go again. <laughs> you just wanna catch a break. Exactly. Yeah. And you mentioned the smoke. So beyond the flames and the heat that these fires bring, the smoke is an issue for agriculture. You, um, it, I understand it can cause some off flavors in uh, the yeah. wine grapes. Is that correct? And maybe some soil and other issues? What, what do you times, know? Um, you know, over the last uh, four or five years, um, you know, next to Napa in Napa County, the Lake County has had devastating fires as well as a new issue of smoke taint in the wine grapes. So, um, uh, the grapes, when it's surrounded by by wildfire smoke, um, you know, that visibility this year, we saw visibility get down to 500 feet because the smoke was so thick. The grapes pick up that flavor. So it's an off flavor that oftentimes isn't picked up until um, the wine aging process. So the, the wine's already in the bottle and as it ages, those flavors come out. And so um, what, what we're seeing is kind of the rejection of contracts uh, by, by uh, grape uh, buyers uh, from our wine uh, from our grape farmers uh, just out of not wanting to take the chance of having smoke tanks. So that just compounds the problem. Um, you know, we're getting to the point where we're starting to understand what smoke tank is, how you measure it. Um, uh, it's very difficult. Uh, there's a testing that, that there's, they can do testing now through a laboratory, but it can take up to six weeks to prove that either your grapes aren't tainted by smoke um, uh, so that you can sell them and by then the season usually is over because when it's time to pick grapes and it's usually based on you know uh, uh, sugar levels in the grape that can change overnight so when it's time to harvest you have to harvest you can't wait for a lab result to come back so stuff that we're working through we were just meeting yesterday um, uh, with, with the FSA there at USDA about what programs are going to be available kind of getting them up to speed of what we're going to need in the future for assistance uh, for our farmers and ranchers so um, you know and also too we're in the middle of rice harvest and there was some concern that with the smoke cover, the rice wouldn't dry uh, fast enough or in time. Also with our almond harvest, uh, those are those are knocked onto the ground and dried on the ground. And there was some concern too of, of delayed harvest in the Fresno area. 
we're harvesting raisins right now. So those raisins are on the ground. They dry them on the ground right there. Uh, looks like their their harvest, their drying period may need to be extended for about a week. The problem with that is that if the rains do come, um, you know you'll have to you'll have to either rewash those grapes or treat them, wash them, and you worry about mold uh, there. So. You don't want it, you don't want it delayed for too long because it's about two to three weeks. We should start getting our first measurable rains, which will help with the fires, but would uh, compound the problem with our with our farmers. What about with your olives and your citrus? That's that's where you're you're involved in. Do you have issues there as well with smoke and? Uh, we haven't, uh, you know, in, in the years past, we haven't. Um, you know, it, it'll be the. The citrus is, is sort of new for me in terms of, you know, our trees are about four years old now. So, you know, we've only had a few fire seasons to go through, but we haven't at this time experienced experienced a problem uh, uh, on our farm with that or getting off flavors. We do olives for olive oil, so uh, we haven't had uh, that problem. Well, that's good. Um, so let's talk a little bit about policy. I mean, there's some things probably that need to be done to kind of minimize the impact of um of these this annual fire season in states like California, what is going on? Um, what is California Farm Bureau and and American Farm Bureau and other groups involved in 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 pushing some of these um, ways to minimize the the risk? Yeah, you know, and it's going to be one of those, and it's one of those policy challenges that isn't going to bring a solution overnight. And our requests actually go back. We're coming out of a historic drought. Uh, in the, you know, in the 2010, 2012, um, which really compounded the problem in our in our forest with dead and dying trees. We know uh, there are 150 million uh, dead trees in our forest here in California. We have around 33 million acres of forest in California. We knew that was going to be a problem, uh, not only because of drought, but also because of a bark beetle. Uh, those trees get stressed. They're overgrown already, uh, and they're more susceptible to pests. Anyone on a farm <laughs> uh, knows how that works. Um, and the frustration has been is that we need to get those trees out, but um, the conflict comes with environmental justice groups uh, who see that as a natural process, don't want to take out the dead and dying trees, that that interferes with, you know, um, a natural process. So we have been pushing and pushing for streamlining regulations that allow us to get into those forests and at least remove, you know, dead and dying trees. Uh, the underbrush that is overgrown, uh, you know, either from past fires where they didn't get in there and remove the dead trees. So now we're seeing these areas reburn, and that just adds to the heat uh, and the intensity of these fires. So can we get in there and can we, um, you know, can we reintroduce, reintroduce biomass production facilities, producing electricity by by burning that woody uh, 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 products, um, which, you know, comes into air quality. Uh, challenges in terms of the regulations we have here in California. When we look at managing our forests, uh, you know, one of the great tools we have is um, uh, ranchers grazing up there in the forest with federal grazing permits. Uh, we're seeing that becoming more and more difficult based on water quality laws uh, that are put in place by the state of California. Um, and the Clean Water Act defers to state water quality uh, rules. Uh, so you have to follow what your state does. So trying to get easing up on that. And if at the minimum, at the minimum, allow us to treat those areas rapidly without having to go through extensive environmental studies uh, and costly studies uh, to treat those areas next to a roadway, um, next to a railroad track where we know they could, they're more likely to start. You know, in 2001, in 2001 uh, then President Clinton signed uh, the Roadless Forest Act 
which started to do away with roads in our public lands. And, and, it, and it was for a specific purpose. And it were those environmental groups who felt that if you could minimize access to the forest, you would minimize logging and you would minimize mining. Um, that was well known as a reason for this. So now the question's coming up as we hear about these places that are inaccessible. Um, has that been compounded because we no longer maintain the roads in our forest service, not only for recreational, uh, but also for um, the value of what our resources produce there. And so um, uh, do we need to revisit that? And a lot of those roads were maintained by those companies uh, who, who were allowed and had permits to actively log those areas. Um, uh, the Western Farm Bureau states, along with American Farm Bureau, uh, joined together. There's about 11 of us in a coalition uh, uh, supporting uh, Emergency Wildlife and Public Safety Act. That's a that's a bill that's been recently put in uh, into the Senate by uh, both Senator uh, uh, Steve Daines from Montana and then our Senator Diane Feinstein. So a bipartisan bill that really would address some of those issues that we're really pushing for. And then on the House side, seeing by a, a a companion bill put in by our by our, uh, a Monterey Salinas Valley Congressman Jimmy Panetta and then my Congressman uh, Doug Lamalfa who's actually a rice farmer uh, and represents kind of the Chico uh, Oroville area where I live have put in a companion bill so we're seeing bipartisan approach but we're coming to the end of session um, you know how, how we can get it done this year but we just are going to keep uh, uh, we're going to keep at it and keep reminding people, and that's the problem too. Like I said, we'll see the rain start coming in October and certainly in November, and then you know all of a sudden again, wildfire seems to leave the, uh, you know, uh, gets put uh, at the end of the line again until the next fires break out, and, and that's a cycle that has to end. Mm -hmm. We did have some success in California, and it's not just a you know a federal issue as well, but here in California we had a Senate Bill uh, 901, but it it had over a billion dollars. Uh, and address some of these issues at the state level of how do we expedite uh, uh, managing our forests and cleaning up the lands and and uh, you know kind of some matching funds maybe for homeowners to clean up around their home. Unfortunately, with the with the pandemic that we're going through right now and the economy where we're at in California with everything shut down, we were looking at a, a fifty billion dollar budget deficit over two years. So. Uh, recently passed a budget that cut a lot of a lot of funding and unfortunately in that uh, $200 million of that Senate Bill 901 did not get funded this year. Um, so, you know, we're going to have to get that refunding and it just lengthens the time of how we successfully deal with um, the, the current events that are in front of us today with these wildfires. Sounds like things still to do on the federal and the state level then. Absolutely. Um, so what about in terms of those directly impacted by the fires that might have lost, you know, their ranches or their crops or, or had to put their animals down? Are there things that need to be done to assure adequate disaster funding to help them get back on their feet and help them rebuild? Yeah, and that's what we were meeting with, um, you know, the Farm Services Administration uh, yesterday about about just going over those programs. We're, we're familiar with many of them, you know, um, what what kind of the immediate needs are going to be. And we'll see this, too, when the rains come is uh, uh, with with the devastation on our forest and the vulnerability now of soil when those rains comes you will see soil erosion and that can lead to um, you know we'll see low uh, flooding in the, in the in the lower areas of the valley um, what can we do to begin to immediately go in there and begin to stabilize that soil uh, and there are programs to do that uh, long term in terms of uh, showing uh, the market loss um, helping our farmers get their records together, what records they need to show a market loss. So, for example, um, a lot of the cattle that maybe did survive 
uh, a fire uh, may have had singed hair or hide that is no longer marketable. So there is a program that you can um, uh, you can get some assistance with animals that uh, have been lost uh, to the market uh, in that regard. But there also is the replanting, and of course there'll be opportunities for uh, our vineyards to replant uh, using these disaster programs at the USDA. So is it easier to get the attention of um, regulators and government officials when the wildfires are burning as opposed to when the rains come and the wildfires aren't the issue? Does it then become something that they just are like, OK, yeah, that's not really a problem? Um, is, is there a timing factor involved? Yeah, and the timing factor is is that these aren't solutions that are going to come overnight, and it's how long it takes, and it has to be. A, it's a generational commitment. It's taken, you know, a generation for us to uh, pretty much decimate our logging industry here in California. I grew up in Humboldt County, uh, spent my summers in college working for the largest redwood mill in the world, the Pacific Lumber Company at the time. Um, and you just never thought an industry of that size would ever disappear. And you had like we have, you know, fourth and fifth generation farmers. We had fourth and fifth generation loggers uh, there. And you could never see that. You could never think that that industry could be shut down. And it has over time. Um, we don't have the infrastructure now to go in there and actively log uh, log that wood and, and turn it into value, which, um, you know, there has to be there has to be some sort of financial incentive for people to go in there because we've gotten rid of our mills we've gotten rid of our biomass plants so it's it's a long-term commitment and that's the problem is that we'll see it today everyone in our legislators will see their communities being affected um but how do we keep it at the forefront and then working on it you know for the next five six seven years and like i said we're seeing the results of dying trees in our forest and, and adding to the fuel but we knew that was a problem back in 2012. So, you know, it, it, it certainly is a timing issue and it's a length of time it's going to take us to recover uh, and to get back to a place where we can say that our forests are now uh, safely and actively managed. Jamie, anything else you'd like to add? Yeah, I just want to thank everyone for the um, for the thoughts and prayers and the outreach to California Farm Bureau in terms of how they can help. Um, I would I would say that we do have a farm and rural disaster fund. If people are interested in helping out, you can go to cfbf.com. There's a banner at the top. Click on that. Uh, and you know, one of the things and the generosity over the years of dealing with this is that um, you know that fund has allowed us to buy um, uh, livestock panels that we now keep uh, located around California at our county fairs. And so those panels can come and be put into use at a moment's notice as these fires happen and the emergent and the immediate evacuation is necessary for livestock such as horses or you know FFA and 4-H projects. And so um, you know one of those things of generosity in the caring of those people outside of California supporting us um, is really going to use right now. Jimmy, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. Stay safe and may the rains yeah. come quickly. Yeah, thank you, Sarah. For Feedstuffs, I'm Sarah Muirhead. You can learn more about the latest on the impact of these fires to the livestock and feed industries in the pages of Feedstuffs. And you can get daily updates by subscribing to our Feedstuffs daily e-newsletter at Feedstuffs.com. Thank you to Jamie Johansson from the California Farm Bureau Federation for sharing his firsthand experience with this devastation, and thanks to Sarah Muirhead for telling the story. This episode has been sponsored by Hogslat and Georgia Poultry. New for 2020, the classic pullet feed pan. 
Built to handle the most aggressive birds, the Classic Pullet features an anti-rotation clip, feed shutoff slide, and a shallow divided pan. Learn more at hogslat.com. I'm Andy Vance, and you've been listening to Feedstuffs in Focus. If you want to hear more conversations about some of the biggest issues affecting the livestock, poultry, grain, and feed industries, subscribe to this podcast on your favorite platforms, including Apple and Google. And while you're there, feel free to leave a review. We'd appreciate the feedback. Until next time, have a great day, and thanks for listening.